Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we are continuing to record this podcast remotely for the safety of our guests and our team. So, on with the show. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that brings together well-known friends to talk through three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is someone I consider to be a friend, a colleague and was once even my boss. Now, as I sat down to write and record this show, I knew that we would collectively talk the hind legs off the proverbial donkey. So this is part one of two shows which covers off a varied and wildly colourful life of a man who was once a cameraman, a hairdresser, he's been a drag queen, a male escort, a dancer, an award-winning choreographer, a director and a judge, most recently on BBC's Strictly Come Dancing. Born and raised in Australia, in the gold rush town of Ballarat, he was one of five children raised by his mother and a father who was an abusive alcoholic. Tensions grew so bad at home that he left when he was 15 to move to Melbourne to study his passion for dance. He later left Australia on the arm of a local TV host whose identity he's always protected. The man, who he refers to only as Mr X, offered him a contract which outlined that he would take him to Broadway and around the world to theatre hotspots, including London's West End, during which time he would have sex with him in exchange for enough money 
to cover off his dance school fees. It was, he says, a deal that worked as well for him as it did for Mr X. From Melbourne, he made it to Europe, landing a gig in Paris, eventually working at the Moulin Rouge. And from there, followed a career in dance and choreography in the West End before he finally got his feet under the judge's desk on Strictly as a relative unknown 16 years ago, back in 2004. So, kick back and settle in, because this is part one of a truly fantastic conversation with Craig Revel Hallward. Craig, I haven't seen you in so long. How are you and how has lockdown been? Well, I am absolutely fabulous, of course. <laughs> I've had a really good time uh, having time at home. I, I think I spent two weeks, that's all I've ever had really, in a run at home. And that's when I had my hip replacement. So I had to be at home. I didn't have a choice. And uh, my life has been so busy up till now. It was, a, number one, a bit of a shock. But number two, I got a lot of things done that I haven't been able to do normally. You know, like normal things, like washing, ironing. <laughs> I know that sounds bizarre. Shut up. Cooking. You, you've not no, been doing washing. I have. I have. I absolutely. Really? Well, I've learned how to use the washing machine, so that's sort of cool. Because <laughs> I normally, I normally send it all off to a company, and it all comes back all ironed and folded and beautiful. And gardening, I've loved that. I built a forest garden. I put some t- a big bell tent up, you know, for guests and things like that. I've really enjoyed it. Actually, it's been wonderful. But um, it's given me also an opportunity to complete uh, the novel that I've written, which comes out on the first of October. Dancers Dreams on Diamond Street. Dancers Dreams on Diamond Street. Yeah, Dancers and Dreams on Diamond Street, darling. And it's a story or a tale about six people living in a house in Camden Town. Sort of a little bit like Tales of the City, but set in the 90s. Of course, it is based on a little bit of truth. Because <laughs> I used to live <laughs> I was going to say, a- hold on a second. You lived in Camden. Your house was a bit of a spaghetti junction. Yeah, that's exactly right. But uh, it's been fun because I could change all names and and places and events and make them, you know, really interesting. And it was great sort of working with the characters. You know, there is one uh, that's like me, who is a dancer turned choreographer (laughs) called Danny. (laughs) It's their trials and tribulations. Yeah. I'm called Danny. I'm young and beautiful. That's quite good for you. (laughs) But that's the beauty about (laughs) fiction. That's the beauty about fiction. You can sort of, you know, write how you really want to be in it. <laughs> Not the truth. So um, it's really great. But I had a lot of stories actually left over from my three autobiographies. And I didn't want to do another auto, you know, and I wanted to put stories in that I could, that didn't have to be authorised. <laughs> so it was great. It was great fun to do. It really was. And uh, looking forward to getting on to the next one now after this one. So it's been busy, darling. And I've been recording I've been recording a duet album with my friend Rietta. And it's a little bit of fancy, really. I've always it's one of my bucket list things to do. Cause I thought, well, I sang for many, many years, and not many people have heard me sing unless you've come to a panto, of course. And uh or I've been in a bar only, with you. 
or being in a bar with me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, after a few, you know, Savion Blancs, <laughs> seeing we are, you know, wine friendly here. So, uh, yeah, it was, I've loved it. The only thing is, I've got to be very collect, uh, careful, you know, in lockdown and all this time at home, you know, not to abuse my wine cellar. That's the only thing. <laughs> Limit oneself, I say. Everything in moderation. So it's been really, really nice. I've enjoyed it. And it's been um, a wonderful experience, except for the fact that, you know, I really want to get back to work properly, obviously, you know, because I do miss the theatre because all my theatre shows were cancelled this year, like Strictly Ballroom. That was, you know, starring Kevin from Strictly. Uh, that had to go and be postponed until next year. Also my All Balls and Glitter tour. So at the moment I'm rehearsing that during the day, learning the lines and stuff like that, because it's obviously two hours of stand-up comedy. Lockdown hasn't stopped me putting a pair of false eyelashes on, just so you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> lavish so, back. Oh, yeah, she's back with a vengeance, darling. She's going to look younger, fitter and more fabulous than ever. <laughs> oh. I was looking at pictures last night of you as lavish. Oh, you are a good-looking woman, Craig. Well, thank you very much. You know, it's uh, all smoke and mirrors, as you know. We've seen a lot of ladies go into makeup before they go on TV, haven't we, darling? My God, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, the one thing I'm missing. They're <laughs> <laughs> unrecognisable until they come out. And I guess the same for me. I don't have any apparent strong features, so I paint them in as a woman, and that seems to work. But I just love um, Lavish, the character, and I'm developing her sort of as we speak, I did an hour's rehearsal uh, just before this to get my Australian accent back because uh, that's going to be making an appearance. So uh, I've been practicing that. Oh, Lavish that. is back. Yeah, Lavish is back. I did kill her off in Paris. You did? This character. And the last time she was ever seen was walking up towards, you know, the shop, up the Champs-Élysées, darling, to the Arc de Triomphe. Uh, in, at, six <laughs> at six o'clock in the morning with heels in the hand and ripped stockings <laughs> and then got on a bus to accidentally the wrong way to the Trocadero so ended up at the turret, the Eiffel Tower instead of where she was meant to live <laughs> so I decided to kill her off uh, but decided 30 years later actually to bring her back to life because she actually like just disappeared Ewing. Yeah, well, she just sort of disappeared for 30 years, but she's come back. So it's going to be, I think the All Balls and Glitter Tour is going to be a lot of fun, actually. Looking forward to it. And we've rescheduled that to the um, February the 18th next year. So fingers crossed, darling. Well, I will be there. I will be there. Because I, I just wanted to explain to listeners, you and I worked together for five years. I know. And you were, you were my boss, eventually. <laughs> I know you so well. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know. I had a great time with you because you're, you're one of those celebrities, you know, that is someone you can actually talk to like a proper person rather than, you know, you don't have this aura of don't touch me, you know, and I love that. I love the fact that you're approachable. I love the fact that you're down to worth. I love the fact that uh, stardom hasn't gone to your head. I love the fact that... Uh, we're just sort of relatively normal backstage. You know, I mean, obviously we switch it on for the cameras and for an audience, and you're very good at that, you know, but um, I love I love the fact that people see you, and I think that's really, really important. Well, thank you, boss. Because when we started <laughs> working together, it was on the first ever Strictly tour. I yeah. was up the buff, 
well and truly pregnant. Um, Arlene was in charge at that point. And then after she left the show, you took over as creative director. And yeah. I mean, you, you, we used to have such a laugh on the tour and it would be me, you and Len and Bruno and, and yeah. Arlene for the first few years. And we all used to have these blow up beds and on a matinee day, we'd all go and have a kip in the middle of the day together, like old codgers in onesie. I know, but it, as much as I just sit there and like hold paddles from one to 10 and like slag a few people off, you know, it is tiring. I think the tiring part is sort of moving about all the time. I think when you're dancing, you don't get as tired because you've got, you're in that euphoric sort of state yeah. and it charges you up. But just sat there for literally two hours you know, looking at the same dance routines and saying the same comments is quite alarming. Although what I loved about the tour is every every day was a new experience. You know, we could we could um, improvise, couldn't we, and work around the script occasionally. <laughs> so I know oh, you love doing that. And I love doing that, but Len used yeah. to really throw Len. He'd just go, no, no <laughs> you can't, no, it's no, not what, what I say. That's no. <laughs> not what I say. <laughs> it's very funny. No, it's a completely different experience, obviously, to the live show, you know, in the fact that you can have a little bit more fun. There is a little bit more leeway for banter. And plus, we're not on that 10 second to 20 second time limitation yeah. that we are on the TV. You know, you can you can have a good old banter and then something might happen during the day while we're shopping or at lunch. And we can mention that to like the 20,000 yeah. people in the arena. Plus the beauty about people coming to see the arena tour and things like that is that they get to see the full body for the first time, you know, and get to see yeah. their celebrities in real life. And plus, you know, it sounds odd, but when you know, the show is filmed for television and is live on TV, the cameras don't quite pick up the absolute glitteriness of the costumes. I mean, they are blinding. And it's they just really wonderful. Are. Yeah, it's wonderful to see with the naked eye. And plus, uh, also in tangos and things like that, all the dance routines, you know, you get all these uh, camera angles and you never get to see the feet all the time. So it's sort of nice for, I think, the audience to see the whole body as an experience rather than just what the directors at the BBC want you to see you know whether yeah. it being close up or whether it be just a mid shot you know or a two shot uh and that's where i sometimes uh fail you know with people at home because they haven't seen some of the footwork that i've been complaining about you know they go well i didn't see that well that's because that was a mid shot darling <laughs> so people, you have to remember people at home are only seeing what they're what they're sort of told to see so uh, or oh, what is an option, which are the cutaways. But um, obviously you need close-ups and things like that. But the beauty about the arena tour as well is that we have big screens, as you know, you know, that do all the close-ups and all of that. So you can mm. see people's faces clearly, you know. But I thought you were wonderful on that. We've got to have you back, darling. I'd love to come back. Do you know what? I had to stop um, because my son started going to school and we, we yeah. took everybody on the road. And and Lisa Riley came in and she was fantastic. And now I think you've got Stacey. But honestly, yeah. Craig, I had some of my funniest times working with you guys. And <laughs> and, and and the show is, I mean, I, how lucky am I in, in, in the two biggest shows on Saturday night? And I got to host both of them in one capacity yeah. or another with X Factor yeah. and Strictly. What is happening with Strictly this year? Is it, are you making it work? Yeah, they're making it work. Uh, even if it's a major, major 
sort of lockdown situation. They're making it work. I mean, we did do it in Australia for the last month because we were forced to, where we had to have a reduced team backstage, which is understandable, obviously, because of the meterage. At so many meters, you can uh, have so many people per square meter on the studio floor. So uh, it was very sparse. And I think the team were reduced to about 300 in the studio, which is not a lot because I think we normally have double that, you know, people running yeah. about. And also no studio audience, which was quite sort of shocking. Because you're going live and you feel like when you finish the show, you've just done the rehearsal. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's really strange. And especially for my character who gets booed a lot, there was no booing and I had to sort of almost say, I can hear the booing from people's homes <laughs> right now. <laughs> You're so panto. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, I, that is another love of mine. Did, but, um, did it work, though? Did it work? It worked, it, work? it worked really well, and I'll tell you why. Because there were you pushed into creative corners, and that's what the BBC are working on now, you know, being pushed into all these creative corners and trying to get out of them and make something fantastic, keeping a similar format of course, this year, but isolating the dancers like for the month of August in a hotel. So they're all learning them uh, rehearsing all together and learning all the stuff and the material that they are going to film for the group numbers. Oh, so you can do group numbers because you've yeah. isolated. So, yeah, yeah, they're going to do group numbers because they've all been isolated and not allowed to see anyone for months. So it is sort of like a little bit of a prison sentence. But at least it's a fun one. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're, getting to, they're getting to dance together, see each other and have fun, you know, and they're all in the same hotel. So they're isolated at the moment. And then in September, they pre-record all the group numbers, which is not unusual because we normally do those live or pre-record part of them and then do the second part of them live uh, because of costume changes, etc. So they'll pre-record all of those so they'll be ready to go. And then, of course, um, there'll be two bubbles for the celebrity and the professional dancer and they'll be able to perform together and then go back to their families you know but they're not allowed to sort of visit anybody else throughout that whole mm -hmm. strictly period which is going to be tough but also they you have to remember they do have a lot of work to do and a lot to learn so a lot of the time this year i think will be spent you know learning learning dance routines rather than the usual, oh, we're going here to a, a nightclub, you know, to film that VT, or we're having interviews here. Instead of that, it will be very um, it will be very focused on their dancing, which I think is going to bring out better results, to be honest. But uh, still, it's going to be an enormous amount of fun, and I can't wait. I'm itching to get back, you know. As long as there's, you know, four metres between me and the other judges, I'll be happy. <laughs> So do you have to isolate as well? Uh, no, well, only at home, as long as we're not going near anyone. But as you know, at Strictly, the judges are pretty much kept in a separate part of the building, so we don't crash into celebrities, you know, because generally if I do, I get abused. So it's sort of safer, <laughs> it's safer for me to be isolated at work and have secret pass passageways to the judges' desk so I don't have to, so I don't have to see anyone. But uh, it's, I think it's going to be great. And, you know, in Australia, they filmed, uh, because there were two people, actually, one of, the, one of the dads of the celebrities actually had COVID. And so they had to immediately go into isolation in a hotel. So, so to perform that, that particular evening, they had to dance on the rooftop live of the hotel room that they were staying in. 
And it was amazing because they're in Australia, they had barbecues on all the rooftops. They were dancing over the top of the barbecues and coming back down, going around poles and all sorts of things. You know, so it was interesting. But it was wonderful to see because it was um, summer in Australia at the time, back in um, March uh, this year. Uh, it was, you know, the, the chiffon was wafting in the breeze as the sun was setting. I mean, it was just beautiful because you're doing a live outside broadcast. And, of course, there's no one there. <laughs> it's a bit strange. But all the people in the high-rise buildings around all had their windows open looking at this thing happening live on the rooftop of their hotel. It was incredible. And it was all filmed in the um, Docklands, so going live. And just mad, but sort of great. It was fantastic to um, to see. And and you've not got Bruno this year, is that right? For the first time ever, he's gone. Yeah, it, well, he's stuck in America. Of course, he spent the lockdown there. And then it really does depend on the, the adorable Mr. Trump <laughs> to decide whether or not he's allowed to come out and return again. If, in fact, he can travel, he will, because he wouldn't miss it for the world. But uh, if he can't, then he'll be able to come over at least for the end of you know December and and seeing the semi-finals into the finals. So I'm praying that he can be there because he provides such an enormous amount of batty energy, doesn't he, to the panel? <laughs> I've created um, some questions for you that I hope are thought-provoking that will help us to see the very best of what has been a wildly colourful and wonderful life that you've lived. So are you ready for your first one? I am. Can you identify one event or period in your life that changed everything for you? Yes, one event. Uh, I think that's when I first saw Cats, the musical. That changed my life and changed the destiny of my life forever when I was 17. And it was at that point I went, I cannot believe these people. I saw it in London. And I saw these dancers that were actually amazing singers and incredible actors. And I couldn't believe that you could be all three. And triple threats, they're called. And from that moment, at the end of that performance, I thought, that's what I want to do with my life. And then when I went back to Australia, that's exactly what I did do. And I trained and trained and trained to be as good as them, if not better. And uh, I got my first job in West Side Story because of it. And ever since then, I left my career as a hairdresser. I left my career uh, as a sound, re sound recorder for the um, news team and a trainee cameraman. I was in TV as well and left all of that behind and set off and embarked on a journey to become a professional dancer because of that one show, really. And he, I just, I saw it and thought, that is absolutely incredible. I want to do that. That's the first time I really thought in my life, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. I had been training, obviously, as a dancer, but not thinking that I could ever really make it as a professional. And, uh, and then when I saw that, it, it really gave me, you know, it put a tiger in me to want to actually achieve it. And the odd thing, I think if you do have a passion and you follow it, you're going to be good, good at it. And that's something that I did then for the rest of my life. And then, of course, you know, that runs out at sort of 30 to 35 because you become a bit old and the 16-year-olds coming up 
doing higher kicks than you <laughs> and you have to choose something to yeah. do and I chose a called choreography <laughs> direction you know and then hip replacements and wheelchairs but still <laughs> but um <laughs> it's been but it's been great so that was the one thing in my life that uh I I had I was at a fork in the road and chose that path and that led to you know a wonderful wonderful life Tell me how you came to be in London, because this is one hell of a story. Oh, yeah. I was doing a play called Starkers, which was originally called Ladies' Night, and then it went back to be uh, be called Ladies' Night back in Australia in 1988, before you were born, darling. (laughs) No, I was was definitely alive and kicking. Well, just kicking in your mummy's tummy. Uh, But (laughs) I did that play, and in that play I had to strip. And I had to be completely naked in it. It was about, it was the full Monty, basically. That's uh, (laughs) that's what, the full Monty was that. It was was first written as Ladies' Night as a play. Then when it went to Australia from New Zealand, it became Starkers. Uh, Then it became Ladies' Night in this country. And then that play turned into the full Monty, and then it became a huge film, and everyone knows the story after that. I played one of the characters in that originally, and I was stripping. So I had to work out in a gym every single day. So I had a great body. I got a call uh, on my phone, on my answer phone, which was back then, uh, from Paris, saying, Craig, would you like to come and join (laughs) um, the dancers at the famous Lido de Paris in Paris? I thought, I could be in Paris walking up the Champs-Élysées. You know, um, obviously, <clears throat> I said yes. And then um, I had to, I was given a costume and they literally took the costume like this. They handed it to me with two fingers and it was a G-string and that was it. That's all I wore in the show. <laughs> I, did, um, have, I did have a big accessory on my head, which was a big blue tropical fish, but uh, nothing else. So I was, my body was in good neck. I was 23, I had a fantastic body, and I wanted to show it off and use it. So I did um, a year contract at the Lido in Paris, and then I auditioned for the Danny LaRue show in this country, got that, did one month of that. At the same time, I'd auditioned for Cats, the musical, uh, and then got that. So I left Danny LaRue after a month and went in to join the company of Cats, bizarrely, and then my dream really, literally, had come true. I thought, now where? Can I go from here? And that's sort of how I got yeah. to London, really, through the through the Cats audition. And then I went to the beautiful Blackpool to dance there. And then uh, went on to uh, Edinburgh for three <laughs> how months. How was that? After Paris. <laughs> uh, Paris to Blackpool, darling. Well, they've got an Eiffel Tower, yeah. of course, so I felt quite a hope. Uh, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then ended up in a show called Miss Saigon in the West End, so uh, in the original year of that. So it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And then from then, I didn't actually stop work in the West End until I hung my shoes up, really, until I was uh, 30. So very lucky indeed, but also very uh, privileged and challenged and also... Um, because I don't believe it's all luck. You do have to be in the right place at the right time and available for these gigs. Uh, and so I, in, in that respect, I was lucky. But, you know, it's a, luck is a lot of hard work as well, you know, and that's what I never, ever stopped doing. I was always training, always trying to make myself better, always, you know, fighting for a better role or a better part or, you know, so I, I did work quite a lot and um, and also, you know, waited on tables to make up the money because I was only being 
paid 200 pounds a week, you know, doing cats. And so sometimes I'd have to wait tables, you know, as well on days off just to make ends meet. It's crazy, isn't it? That's amazing, isn't it? That's that one moment, a kind of two hour experience in your life that went on to change everything and really went full circle because you ended up in the cast of cats. I couldn't believe it at the very same theater in London. I could, the new London theater, I could not believe it, not at all. And uh, it was, and I was doing actually Cats and Miss Saigon at the same time. I do, uh, I do an afternoon like I do a, a matinee of Cats and then come back over the road to Miss Saigon and then play in Miss Saigon. And no. then they were just using me, yeah, <laughs> using me wherever I want. It was the most bizarre thing is when people could sort of swap, you know, uh, swap theatres. It was incredible time, you know. I mean, obviously uh, there was stuff going on with the IRA at the time as well, and the theatres. Uh, there were bomb threats and we were all in Miss Saigon there was a bomb threat one one uh, night and we were just told to get out of the theatre so everyone like all the prostitutes in the opening scene were all in bikinis all out on the street in Covent Garden (laughs) and I was in uh, a military GI outfit with a gun, you know what I mean (laughs) and we're out on the streets all dressed in our costumes and all these prostitutes in literally bikinis, well, the girls actors, they were, they're not, not real prostitutes, darling, they were plain. But uh, yes. it was the oddest sight I think I've ever seen, and scariest <laughs> as well, because there were a lot of bombs going off at that, at yeah. that time. In 1989, 1990, 91, 92, it was just uh, quite frightening in London, actually, in the theatre, but... Uh, but sort of exciting as well. Not that I, you know, defend that. But it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in the street in my life. I know it sounds ridiculous that you've written three autobiographies, but you kind of warrant it, Craig, because you've got all the stories to fill those pages. Well, there's loads, you know, because obviously the first one is about my life growing up in Australia. And a lot of people don't know I'm Australian because I have, you know, I speak beautifully like the Queen. <laughs> well, like yeah. a Queen, anyway. But, yeah, um, a queen. you know, and then, and then, of course, there's Strictly stories on top of that, the theatre stories. I mean, I couldn't, I could keep packing them out. And that's why the novel came about, because I had so many stories left over that I wanted to tell that I couldn't fit into 300 pages. I thought, what can I do with these stories? And then, the editor sort of came up with the idea of com- compiling them, putting them together, but let's make make it fictional so we can go anywhere we like with the characters. And I thought, oh, that sounds like so much fun. So that's what we did. Okay, are we ready to move on to question number two? Indeed. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volur xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I think it would be polite of me to say that you are known for giving out tough love. In fact, an 80-year-old woman once slapped you in the street, didn't she, because of your perceived rudeness? (laughs) In in Newbury. I remember it well. (laughs) I love that. I said, well, she actually just walked across the square, came across and just went, are you Craig Revel Horwood? you that Craig Revel Horwood from the TV? I went, yeah, she just went, slap. I completely slapped me across the face. I said, what oh, but being, being so nasty to the celebrities on Strictly Come Dancing. But then she, and then in the second breath, she said, oh, don't change though. I love you. I love you. It's like, that, that's not love, isn't it? And people ramming their trolleys into the back of my heels in supermarkets. I mean, the beauty about COVID, of course, and the two-meter restriction at supermarkets, people can't come up to you or touch you. And selfies have to be done at two metres. I love that. You are like a tough love human vending machine. Uh, You know, you put a penny in and out it comes. And I just wanted to know, when in your own life have you been on the receiving end of tough love and did it help you or harm you? uh, I have been, of course. And I I always consider it help. Any time you get criticism, I think it's good to listen to. You can either choose to take it on board and do something about it, or it makes you look at yourself. I think it's really important if you hand out criticism to be able to take it. It's like notes from a director. The director is there to give you notes, to make your performance better, to make you see the character a little bit more clearly, to maybe invest in... Uh, what you're investing in, which is the acting or the character, you know, to make better choices for you or upgrade your choices of how you're going to play that character. I think it's really important. Yeah, I had tough love. I didn't get into a show once that I really wanted to be in, which was the Kasha Paul. And they said my arms were a mess and flailing about uncontrollably. And I'd need to sort them out, you know, if I came back for a second audition. And... I did. I, t- I I felt disheartened because I'd worked, you know, 
all my dancing life towards you know a goal and uh, didn't get that so i went back to class and i concentrated on what they told me working on controlling these long arms you know that seemed to be um running in abandonment <laughs> to the rest of my body and so that hurt but i listened i corrected it went back and got the job so it, it's those sort of things i think it is good to listen to people and some points are going to be valid some aren't and then you take on board that criticism from anybody and make it work like i did on celebrity master chef back in 2007 you know i was given advice on that if i didn't take the advice i could choose not to and just continue as a mess or take the advice and say yeah they know better they're right so that's why i don't get it when people aggress me you know when i'm only trying to make their performances better i'm not trying to make them worse in any way shape or form on strictly come dancing i think my job is to be there and criticize you can take that on board and make it a much better experience for yourself if you choose to accept the criticism if you don't accept the criticism yes by all means stand up for yourself and say well that's an artistic choice we made which some people do you know but still uh, an opinion is only an opinion and it's only one person's opinion and as we know everyone has one if you go on twitter everyone's got an opinion darling unless you work in this industry you have no concept of how tough, caustic and rough it can be at times. And I think that people are becoming far more mindful now in the way that um, they treat people, even in moments of rejection. Yeah. But back in the day, I mean, gosh, some of the things that have been said to me would make most people's ears bleed. I know you, you end up having a very tough shell, I've got to be honest. And I think uh, when I was when I was learning to dance, I went to a Russian ballet teacher. I mean, she literally had a stick and she would hit you and keep the boys back for an hour for jumps, you know, and it's a killer. And she wouldn't put up with anything less than perfection. And if you weren't applying yourself, you'd be kicked out of the class. And it was the only thing that really made me better was the fact that someone was driving me. Someone was literally there with a whip, whipping me. Obviously, you're not allowed to do that anymore. You've got to you know, be all inclusive. You've got to get round it some other way, but tough love does work. You know, if you can imagine someone that wants to be an Olympic champion and has been getting silvers all their life and they've got one Olympic left in them <clears throat> and they want gold, they want that elusive goal. The only way you're going to get it is if you listen to your coach. If, you, if, you, if you're not listening to the person that's coaching you or the, the person coaching you is just saying, oh, don't worry, darling, you'll be all right on the night. You know, you're just feeling a little emotional. You know, that is not going to work. You will not get gold in that way. You know, and I think certainly sports people always listen to criticism because it helps them, number one. And number two, it gets them, it makes them win. You know, so I think... It's about listening. It's about, you know, um, sorting, as they say in Australia, the shit from the clay, yeah, and, you know, <laughs> moving and moving forward that way. And I think it's really important to apply those uh, changes to yourself so you do win, so you do get gold. You know, and I think it's uh, any sports person will tell you they've had really tough coaches, you know, to get to the top. You've had to. Can you imagine anyone, you know, playing football? Uh, doing that you'd be sort of put on a bench wouldn't you if, if you're not performing well enough you are good like that I mean when you push me out of my comfort zone 
I remember sort of thinking, I went into sheer panic when you said I've got to dance at Wembley. Yeah, I, I wanted to punch. I wanted to punch <laughs> you in the head and say, "I cannot do this." Yeah, of course. I walk I've got one of, and I talk. I've got one of those faces. That's what I do. Yeah, that was, <laughs> no, you don't understand. I thought we were friends. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> and I got really panicked. And then yeah. you, you knew exactly what to do with me. Cut, you know. Then cut to, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is strictly come dancing. Please welcome your host, Kate Thornton. You were brilliant, but very tough with me at the same time. It's like. Well, you can do this, and I know you can do this. So just get on with it. It was, it was. Yeah. You were quite matter of fact, but you knew I could take that yeah. as a character because I've got the skin yeah, of a rhino. Um, and plus, I would, I would make it then very easy, so you didn't know. Uh, for instance, like if you're doing a great big lift, like I had to do in Paddington Two, the movie with Hugh Grant, uh, there was uh, this huge big lift, but I didn't really want him to see the whole thing. And he wanted to see the whole thing first. And I said, oh, no, we're just going to look at the first part of it. And because if I had have shown him with all the other dancers the lift, because basically you dive into a sea of men, they flip you up onto your feet in the air, and then you dive, roll out of it and land back on your feet. So he's going through 20 guys rolling and tumbling through them and having to land. Keep but if on. you show the, if the whole... Yeah, but if you if you show the whole lift altogether, he would have just turned around and said, "There's no way I'm doing that." So I said, "Look, I'm I'm going to do. It's called the hurricane lift." This is you choreographing him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I choreographed Paddington Two, the uh, movie, and um, and choreographed the the final scene with Hugh, which was all singing, all dancing, tap dancing. You know, I had to teach him to tap, but I wanted to do this magnificent sort of amazing lift, and uh, so I coaxed him into it he did the first part then he did the second part and then we did it in slow motion but the lift doesn't work unless you do first second straight into the third and flip out of it and then uh right. i said we're going to sort of go for the whole lift now he sort of knew in his mind what it was and his body i taught him the first two parts of the lift but i couldn't teach him three and four because uh you have to go at speed so i said we're going to try it and so he went Boom, 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 up, flip, over, landed on his feet. And he went, oh, my God, what just happened? I said, you did a hurricane lift, and it was amazing. <laughs> he said, oh, I want to do it again. But if I had have shown him, if I had have shown him that lift, he would have gone, oh, my God. And this is what happened with you. It's fear. You think dance, and then you think, oh, my God, I'm going to have to do a Vincent and Flavia. You know, <laughs> and I'm going to look yeah. terrible. But, I mean, I'm there to protect you and make sure that you look incredible. And so you start with something easy. Then you say, well, you're prepared to try a little lift here, something easy, you know, and then you coax them. And then people are begging for more at the end of it. So, I mean, that's sort of what you want. You want the person to own it in the end. And then you came out, you owned that work, darling. You were absolutely snap, snap, snapping I your way it. down that. Yeah, it was great. So, um, yeah, there is an approach, and I don't think you need a knife in someone's back, and I don't think you need to threaten them with cutting their money. I don't think, you know, you need to do any of that sort of stuff, you know, to get the best out of people, and I think that's what you learn. And I get, obviously, misunderstood on a programme like Strictly Come Dancing, I think only because I have 10 seconds to say what's wrong with the dance, and and that's tough you know so i have to be really quick i've got to be to the point you know if i was coaching them i could 
on X Factor, you get co- you get coaching, so you've got an opportunity to make them better. But on Strictly, I'm just there, literally wearing a judge's wig and holding paddles. You know, and, and I don't really get time for that. If I was to love, nurture, embrace, then I could show my true self, like I did in Australia when the judges had to. Uh, we had to do that once, where we had to put together a group routine, and we had. Uh, three celebrities and three pro dancers, and then I had to star in it myself. And this is a challenge between all the judges. And then we judge each other, which was a lot of fun. But um, everyone was very competitive, but we had to get up. We had to put ourselves in the professional dancer's place and be in the, the dance routine and choreograph it and come up with all the concepts and perform it live on the show. And then you're not only judged by the judges. They should do that judges, here. Course, oh, yeah, I know. I think they should. It'd be hilarious, <laughs> but What's it's good it? fun. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. So um, I think that was sort of good because people, you know, your money is seriously where your mouth is, and I think that's really important. And that's why I don't take myself so seriously because I will get up and make an idiot of myself. I mean, I I literally dragged Dan Whittingham around the dance floor on tour <laughs> for literally two months, darling. We did forty shows together, and then that consequently led to me doing two years of panto with Anne Whittaker. He was doing the same lifts every day. And it was like really great, two shows a day. So, you know, I'll put, I don't mind what people say about me. I just get up and do it. Hopefully they enjoy it. I wanted to talk to you about your relationship with your body because you are prolific in the way that you've talked about your anxieties, your lack of confidence, which for a man was was quite groundbreaking when you started that conversation. And as the mother of a body conscious 12 year old, I thank you because you've normalized it in so many ways. And yeah. I just wondered where, how has your relationship with your body changed and where are you at with it now? I uh, used to judge myself alongside people. When you're dancing, you dance in front of mirrors all day, learning routines, oh. and you're constantly comparing yourself to the next person. If you're not happy with your body type or shape, it makes it difficult. And I had uh, body dysmorphia, I think. Well, I definitely know I did because I became anorexic and I wasn't eating properly because I was thinking I was fat. But of course, uh, my hips were bigger than most boys' hips, and I was always comparing myself to them, you know. and I had broad shoulders, narrow waist, but I had bigger hips. I felt my hips were like two inches too big, an inch either side, just too big, you know, to have that uh, V shape. And I was constantly comparing myself to other people. And that was my biggest error. And it led to me not eating properly. It led to me uh, just having lettuce leaves for two weeks, which was ridiculous. Uh, It led to me, you know, skipping loads of meals or being scared to eat in case I put any weight on, Uh, only because I was comparing myself to shorter, different men, uh, different body types. And that's crazy. Some people have more muscle mass than others, naturally. And I was one of the dancers that had uh, a higher body fat percentage uh, to the point where I, I did have to watch what I ate, but I, was eating the, I wasn't eating at all. And um, what I needed to do was eat protein and work out and do weights. 
and build the muscle up because I wasn't, I didn't know about that at the time. And it wasn't until I became uh, a gym instructor that I learned all about nutrition. And that was when I had to do that play. I had to learn about nutrition because I had to then, you know, work on my body and make it better than it was and make the best of what you have, you know, and be happy actually with what you have and use your own body shape as the template for that. I, I was yeah. always guilty of just comparing myself. Why can't I be look like him? Why can't I have pecs like him? Why can't I have big biceps like him? And, you know, obviously the reason is, Craig, you're a foot longer in every direction than that person you're stood next to. There's the problem. <laughs> you know, longer muscles need different types of workout, you know, and it's, it, it is like that, you know. And as soon as you stop comparing yourself and start becoming yourself, you can live a much more normal life. And it took me, it took me ages to learn that. And that seriously was something that was uh, wrong. And then, of course, when I gave up dance, I kept eating the same amount as I was eating while I was dancing. And of course I started to put on the weight. And then um, and then I went on to have, um, you know, like man boobs that I just couldn't stand anymore. So I had them removed because there was um, a breast tissue under that I could never get rid of, no matter what, you know, and this happens to a lot of men and they won't talk about it. Uh, Gynomastia, and that's what it's technically called. And it's mm -hmm. breast tissue underneath the uh, nipple. And there's no amount of muscle will make that go away. So I had to have that surgically removed. And then and I was very How happy. was that, Craig? How was, what's that I, procedure? Because so many men do struggle, yeah. struggle with that. And you're right, they don't talk about it. No, and they try and hide it with, you know, bigger mm. T-shirts. Or they won't wear, they'll always wear a jacket. They won't take their, they won't go topless on the beach because they're worried about having man boobs. And it is a thing, mm. you know, and people, and it's a, it's horrific when men aren't supposed to have them, you know, but yeah. it is a natural thing, mind you. But it, you can deal with it. You can deal with it uh, through exercise, but that won't help it if you've got gynecomastia, uh, you know, because it is breast tissue that you have to get rid of. Uh, but the procedure is actually quite a simple one. They just cut around the nipple and take out the breast tissue and um, do a bit of liposuction around that area as well and then sew mm. you back together. Yeah, it's painful. It's like being punched in the chest. Uh you know, like 500 times. So it is, you can't lift anything up for a couple of weeks. But um, just taking the bandages off and, you know, I, I just started crying in the mirror because it was the first time really that I had a flat chest. <laughs> you know, I, I was so used to always having that bit of fat around my pecs. And um, I mean, when I stopped dancing, it just turned even worse. I mean, I used to go to extremes and wear braces underneath my T-shirts, you know, just to hold it all down. It was like crazy. And then I went to see a surgeon and they said, oh, no, that's easy to get rid of. And if men know about that sort of thing, I think it's really important that they can change their lives because it's it gives you a sense of freedom. Like my nose job did. I had that done when I was 18, you know, and um, it was the best thing that ever uh, happened to me. Not, and it was only cosmetic, which is ridiculous. But um, up until that age, I always thought I had a fish face and I hated my big old nose. So those procedures, you, A, they, they, they sound to me like they, they freed you up. They, they made you look at yourself with new eyes and, and a newfound love. Is that right? They made me feel confident 
and it gave me a new lease of life. I have got to be honest. I just felt uh, invincible. And I think that's really important. I just went, I was free of something, baggage. <laughs> I mean, literally. And, uh, you know, stuff that had been disturbing me all my life. You know, it was just one thing less to think about. And confidence is everything. I just didn't have it when I felt like I had that body, you know. And But I think, okay, as you get older, you tend to accept yourself and celebrate actually who you are now if i was strong enough back then to just accept that i'd be strong enough then to whip my top off and not worry about what people think but for men it's really really difficult and i understand exactly what um, men that have that condition are going through and you know the beauty is it can be rectified and it does I don't know, it, it makes you love yourself so you're free to love others. I think that's the point I'm making. It's something we all go through if you have like bad skin as a teenager, where you can all relate to that wanting to not, not make eye contact with somebody, wanting to hide yourself away, the bigger the clothes, the baggier the clothes. The, and, and actually, it's no way to live, is it? And if there is a solution out there that will give you the confidence mentally to feel better about yourself, then why not? As long as you're not harming yourself then more power to you surely yeah as long as you're not getting into debt or you know robbing you know a store to do it i think you know i think you know it can be done and you can you know it's no problem to rely on the kindness of strangers in that way as well you know you just have to i think be honest with yourself and say why do you want it done how will it make you feel and is it will it make improve your life you know, I think that's the important thing. And it's certainly improved mine. I felt really confident. I could, I felt like I could wear, you know, anything I liked. And, you know, I'm not talking about being ripped. I'm not talking about anything fake. I'm just talking about getting, losing a problem that is a, a able, that you're able to do. You know, I mean, obviously when I had both my hips replaced, that was causing me pain. I couldn't walk. That was like a necessary thing that had to be done, you know. Um, but a long time ago, I remember my, my grandmother, she had to live with the pain all of her life. But nowadays, mm. you don't have to. And plus, you can get, yeah. you know, hip replacements on the NHS as well because it's affecting your life. It's affecting how, you know, people when they're in pain all the time are a little, lot more grumpy and a lot more uh short-tempered and that can lead to other problems within your relationship with your family with friends you know and and hamper you at work so i think it's really important to find out what it is you know because it could be a deep deeper rooted problem than just the outward you know and i think uh solving the outward helps solve all the stuff you know that i felt inside for all those years and it was freeing and the most amazing experience you know i just couldn't wait to put something tight on and go look there's nothing there i can't do any juggling anymore <laughs> so um <laughs> and I'm, by that i mean cupping my chest and that used to be my party trick you know but um as much as i used to use it and have fun with my you know with my breasts my man my man boobs because i did have fun with them uh i decided that actually this can be rectified. And if I just go on 
a high protein, you know, low carb diet, and start working out and get rid of the get rid of the problem, then I will love myself more. And I did, and it was great, and I've never felt better. It's not like plastic surgery. It's you know getting rid of a, a problem. And you don't have to live with it. You don't have to live your life like that. You don't have to live hiding away. You don't have to live in baggy t-shirts. You don't have to just get that suit that will cover everything up. You don't have to shy away from people when they go to touch you. You know, I think it was, to, I got to the point where I would hug people and then uh, wouldn't let them feel me, you know, but when I was, I, I remember when I was dancing and we had one routine where the girl had to come around um, behind the guy, grab his pecs and move down his body. I mean, I used to freeze every moment just thinking oh. what that person, what that dancer was thinking behind me about, oh, that's squidgy. You know, it's like, mm. it was um, only because you're in dance, you're working very closely with people, you know, and some guys oh, are literally I rock solid. And some people just can't help the fact that they have, you know, breast tissue. So it was um, it was a rude awakening, actually, <laughs> to find out what it was, finally, and understand why uh, it was happening to me, you know. And actually, I could be feel be free of it. And I was. And uh, I just thank God for, you know, the, the surgery that can allow that to happen. So, yeah, I think it's, if you've got the problem, it's easy to fix. And you know what? Uh, you'll be a, you'll have so much fun after it, you know, just buying clothes, for instance, and actually just feeling confident to go for a run, you know, because running yeah. with, with a pair of man boobs is like being braless, you know, on a 10 mile, you know, run. No one would do it. You know, most women wear sports bras, but you can't, men in a yeah. sports bra, you know, it's just not acceptable. So, um, and plus, I remember on the running machine, my nipples used to bleed because they were bouncing up and down so much. So I ended up going to the gym because I'd have bleeding nipples because I was on the machine for 80 minutes a day trying to get rid of them. And it was impossible to get rid of. They were bleeding. And guys out there um, will know that. You know, so I used to have to wear band-aids, round band-aids on my nipples to get on the running machine to try and get rid of my chest fat. It was just ridiculous. So um, I'm pleased I found a solution and I'm glad that I can help anyone out there that um, has the problem and doesn't think they can do anything about it. But go and get checked out. It's an easy, simple routine operation and uh, you don't have to live with that. And you'll be, you know, I think you'll end up loving yourself and think, why didn't I do this earlier? You know, it's, it's yeah. man pride, if you like to say that. But, I mean, women have the same problem with their bums. Totally. Their, their boobs. You know, no one likes back fat in a corset. <laughs> but still, you know, <laughs> I, say, I say, if you've got it, you've got it. Flaunt it. You know, when I do, like in drag, I've got back fat, and I don't care. I still wear some. I really don't care. I go, yeah, look at it. Isn't that gorgeous? And shake it about, you know, and people can say what they think. <laughs> they can say whatever they like about it, but I'm still up there doing it, having a laugh. And I am a woman of a certain age, let's face it. Now, Craig, we're going to leave things there for this week and we're going to pick this conversation up for next week's podcast. And I really am looking forward to delving into uh, some of the issues around your personal life. I want to know about 
the greatest loves of your life, the greatest teachers and the lessons that you've learned when it comes to matters of the heart, about the incredible risks that you've taken and also about the cost of fame, especially when it comes knocking later in life. So that's next week's episode of White Wine Question Time. In the meantime, uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, this show is produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Richard Hatherell for Yahoo UK, and editing is by Callum Goddard-Mocklow. Our music, as always, is by Andy Bell, who's got brand new material out right now, so check it out on iTunes and Spotify. And remember to try to do as we always do on the show and drink responsibly. I'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.